0: Hey guys, this is Heroes Homebase Podcast, episode eleven.
1: What's going on, guys? This is Rob. Hey, this is Mark. Hey, what's going on, guys? This is Rich. So, boys, what's going on this week? Feel like it's been forever. I think it's yeah. only been a week, though, right? I enjoyed our conversation with Gibbs, so that was a really good interview. It was good to talk to him on a personal level.
0: Yeah, and I got some good feedback from my coworkers regarding our Christmas uh, episode. That what they, they really say. Enjoyed, They just enjoyed it. They liked the kind of our banter back and forth. They liked the part about you talking about you work for a, lux- a luxury drinking company. and <laughs> a beverage you know, company. So, <laughs> a beverage company. <laughs> And so they liked the banter, you know, of us, our conversation back and forth, and how natural we were, and the story, the comic stories that we cut co- were Christmas based that we covered. So they like they enjoyed that. So we got I got some good feedback from my coworkers that listen.
1: All right. So we got any emails? Uh, yeah, we got one from our uh, our lone uh, emailer uh, Herb. Our loyal listener Herb. <laughs> I appreciate you always emailing in, Herb. Um, I do recommend you put your email in the bottom of the email next time because it looks like he put this entire thing in the (laughs) subject line. So I didn't know you could have that many characters in the subject line, but it's okay, Herb. We love you anyway. Uh, All right, so this is from the 10th. Wokman, LOL. You guys have done it again. Great topic and one that gets me a bit, quote, triggered. The Watchmen was one of my first loves in the graphic novel world. The show, I believe, was a complete mutilation, and I wish people weren't so fixated on hating each other. I'm pretty sure that most of us in the comic book world don't want racism to be the key focus of our entertainment. Mark, Rob, Rich, keep up the good work. No matter your creed, race, religion, or class, it's all about good friends and a love for comic books. Side note, thanks for sharing Batman Damned, or Batman's dong and damned. Now I know why he is Batman. And that is it. <laughs> Thanks, Herb. Thank you, Herb. What else we got from her? Just started the Amazon Prime original, The Boys. Good choice, Herb. I uh I indulged in that one a few months back. Have you guys checked this shit out yet? Um, absolutely crazy. Didn't think I could hate superheroes like I do in this show. I highly recommend it if you haven't had the pleasure. I was hooked on the first episode when the quote flash equivalent a train accidentally hits the main character's girlfriend while he was running at full speed bug meets windshield hits are so hard and fast that the only thing left is her hand still holding the main character's hands while the pavement got a nice new coat of fresh, of blood flesh and bone fragments. The concept is wild and new, and it's definitely a new outlook on what a superhero could be if he or she, if, if he, well, if his or her moral compass was driven by social media, disaster. Uh Brightburn wasn't the best movie I've ever seen, but it's definitely a thought-provoking story. There are some stories that touch on this topic already. But what if Superman didn't grow up like a Zen master Jedi? Imagine a raging emo hormonal monster with all the powers of a God running around acting on every impulse opposite of Smallville. LOL. Anyway, love the show. And I hope to hear your thoughts on all the above. Um, I think that this bright burn is going to be like, since the superhero movie and the genre is like leading the leading the way. I think this is like its first stab at like superhero horror. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. And The Boys is kind of a uh, – th- that was an excellent show. Let's just talk about that real quick. Mark, did you check that out yet?
0: No, I didn't because I'm having a hard time getting Amazon. Really? Yeah, I, I have not been able to check out The Boys. But the thing is, in my, in my circle here, in my kind of atmosphere, it came up and then went away. Really? So people talked about it for like a week or even less than that. And then it went away and that was it. I haven't heard anything else about it. I heard about more about Watchmen than I did the boys. Well, the boys
1: was kind of what, the summer? It was in the it was it's it's not new by any stretch. It's been a while. It came out a while ago.
0: So even when it's it came out, out six months. It, So when it came out, it was out and then it was like that was it. People talk about the Watchmen more than they talked about the boys, even when the boys was new. Okay.
1: Well, and I wonder if I mean that's a good point, Mark. I wonder if that is the binge. Culture versus the, you know, traditional, one new episode every week. Because yeah, I think that's true. you know you get a you get a quick burn on a show like The Boys or anything on Netflix or anything, and you're super pumped about it for about a week, maybe two weeks tops, and then it's burned up and it's you're to something else. So yeah. Whereas Watchmen, that... you had to watch it week to week. You couldn't binge that shit. Sure. Sure. Um, so my history with the boys, I've been wanting to talk about this one for a while, but, um, wanted to settle into the podcast. Um, I originally, I hated it. I watched the pilot and I was just like, what is going on? I think it was just, I didn't know what to expect, but I, um, I went back and watched it again about a month and a half, two months later, um, got really into it. And overall, I think it was a, a good show. I think it was a um, an interesting concept where you know you're really kind of far you're really following the uh, Carl Urban and his team of kind of misfits that are trying to take down these kind of superheroes that are in you know um, flawed human being bodies essentially. Um, but yeah, to Herb's email, that opening scene was just like, what just happened? <laughs> where she's just there in one frame and gone the next, like it was just—it was almost um, uh, Brad Pitt um, bouncing off the cars and meet Joe Black. He's like, "What just right. Like a holy shit, what the fuck just happened? Moment. But I mean, I liked—I liked how um, it really played on that, you know, kind of that injustice theme, you know, where Superman goes bad and you know what happens if you know they have questionable morals and questionable values, but they have immense power. What could happen? And I think it was a pretty good display of, you know, what that could look like. Just a tiny little nitpick thing. I love Carl Urban, but I find him to be ridiculously hard to understand with his accent. I just (laughs) could not, I almost needed to put the subtitles on. Like it, I was just like, what is he saying? Like, I, I can't, I, whatever. So, I liked it. Um, Mark, you should definitely check it out. What did you think, Rich? Um, I thought it was good. It definitely had that injustice feel, like you said, with the superheroes, and it was kind of frightening when you really think about it. And they caused a hell of a lot of harm to that individual person to where it was scarring, that, that would scar them for the rest of their life. And how would you react to that? So, all right, it was it was good. I did not see the ending coming. I did not see that at all. But uh, I'm anxious no, to see what, what what comes of it. It was good. And I have not seen Brightburn yet. I have not either. Neither have I. Did you guys hear about the uh, Oscar nominations for The Joker?
0: 11 nominations.
1: That is fucking insane. Including
0: Best Actor for The Joker. That is insane. I tell you what, I went
1: and I I bought it the other day. On blu-ray and i watched it with kim she was real nervous about it and i'm just like i remember walking out of the theater going yeah i don't think i'm gonna need to see that ever again but like after we talked about it on this show and then after, you know, you talk about it and talk about it and I'm glad I rewatched it because it, it was just an excellent performance, man. It really was just one yeah. of a kind. You
0: know, yeah. it really, if you have the right kind of director that goes to show you and the right kind of story that goes to show you how you can take these kind of superhero films and take it to from like a 1966 Batman with the poom pow, pang mm-hmm. all the way. To the Oscars, you know what I'm saying? Right. If you get the story right, the right kind of direct direction, it can be that kind of performance. Oscar-worthy performance. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I just, I, I was thinking about this the other day. I think of kind of the evolution that the Joker character has taken over the years. And I know we talked a lot about this on that episode, but just thinking of the campiness of like the Cesar Romero... Um, and definitely remembering kind of what Heath Ledger did and how where he took the character. But what I thought was different about um, Joaquin's portrayal was this was like a... It's almost like a Joker movie that was made to be recognized f- for an Oscar. Like, the acting was just amazing. The movie, the music, the sets, just... the the time and how they portrayed everything in Gotham. I I just thought it was very well done. Like it was almost as if it wasn't even a comic book movie. It was just like one of those awful tragedies um, that normally gets recognized at the Oscars. So I thought let's just hope the uh, watching it again and discussing it. I'm like, I just don't see any performance beating this. Let's just hope the politics involved in these type of awards and these organizations don't, you know, don't get in the way and fuck him out. Well, if board. I have to give you my predictions, my prediction is going to be, we've already given an Oscar to a Joker performance. We're not going to do it again. That's just my, that's just my take.
0: So you want to hear something funny? I was taking, a, I was crossing the street and I ever heard this guy saying that I was in Tribeca, which is the southern most part of Manhattan. And he was taking a cab up to the Bronx. He was taking an Uber up to the Bronx. And the guy was like, you're taking Uber all the way up to the Bronx? He's like, yeah. He was like, well, it's not, He's like, yeah. He's like, what area of the part? What part of the Bronx are you taking the Uber to? He's like, I live by the Joker stairs. No shit. <laughs> so that's the thing now that people know that he's like, where do you live? Where part of the Bronx you I live by the Joker stairs. So people say that now. That's like a thing now. The Joker stairs.
1: That was the best part of that movie when <laughs> he was like just full on. The switch had been flipped. He was in costume, like going down those stairs, and like this motherfucker is crazy. And the soundtrack overall was pretty damn amazing. So, what else you got, Mark? So,
0: I recently saw the latest trailer for the Birds of Prey movie, and everybody that listens to this and knows me knows how much I love Birds of Prey, and it looks like somebody shit confetti. This movie is so bright <laughs> and like loud and pink and fluffy, and it looks like somebody shit a can of confetti, and it's like, it's just like, fireworks all over the place. It's just like somebody shit the 4th of July. It's just like you, I'm not you interested.
1: You were pumped about this I, f- well, I think it I was, looks like complete not, shit.
0: It looks It stupid. does not look like anything the birds of prey that I know.
1: It looks like another excuse to have a sexualized Harley Quinn on the movie screen. It looks awful. When you were talking about these characters on the show, I just... Th- this movie looks like fucking shit. I mean, Harley Quinn, like I said... Is not in the birds of prey, so why are we trying to kill two birds—no pun intended—with one stone? Let's let's just make a birds of prey movie, but let's make a Harley Quinn movie slash Suicide Squad sequel here. Like, and I know right. they're doing that, but it's like I'm so fucking tired of the Harley Quinn bullshit, man.
0: what I've seen in these trailers—it I'm not sorry, the birds people that are
1: listening to this that love the character, but I'm kind of over it. I'm over it. I'm over what they've done with the character like bring back the original I'm good with that like I loved her presence Um, even in the the um, the Arkham video games was amazing it was kind of like her traditional character you know taken to the next level but it's just it's just it's done it's burned. I have no this. I have no desire to see this, and neither for, do
0: I. You can have, you Can have, How can you have the Birds of Prey with no Barbara Gordon? Right, she's the one who started it. I read my something
1: take? that they were. She's not in it because they're trying to do a Batgirl movie. I'm like, well, so like, let's have a cameo. Let's have a. No,
0: it's a new Fifty Two. Not that. Not the adult Barbara Gordon that started Birds of Prey. It's a new Fifty Two Batgirl. Bottom Here's line is know.
1: Barbara Gordon is the Birds of Prey. Yep. Yeah. She is Here's horrible. what I don't I understand. understand. You can't fucking. I don't know. Go ahead, Here's Rob. the thing, though. How can um, we can't get the uh, Snyder cut, but DC and Warner Brothers are going to sign off on that? <laughs> Explain that one to me. I don't know, yeah, man. I point. think that Snyder cut's gaining quite a bit of traction. Hopefully, hopefully, we'll see it soon.
0: We'll see. I mean, I'm gonna. I'm A, a part of me doesn't want to go see it. A part of me really doesn't want to go see it. I just don't feel like it'll do well. I just don't. I mean, it, first of all, the title is way too long.
1: Oh my God. Yeah.
0: I have to see how I feel.
1: I die. Uh, nah, I'm not going to see it. Margot Robbie was great in suicide squad. Like that movie was hot shit. I mean, it did. I mean, it was the 10th highest grossing film in 2016. So, I mean, that's probably why Warner brothers oh, it had a, same. had an all-star cast, man it had Will Smith in it and shit. Like, Everybody goes to see those movies, but like I thought it was stupid from a comic book movie perspective. Uh, Some boxes were checked, and this was a success, so that's why we're going to continue
0: to run this
1: thing. (laughs) Well, and
0: also, in another trailer news, I saw the trailer for Morbius, Mm -hmm. which is a Spider-Man universe character, and that looked excellent.
1: Yeah, I saw that. I, I didn't see the whole preview, but I saw it when I was scrolling on social media. I did see that they're doing and our that. Favorite,
0: our favorite Batman makes a cameo at the end. Michael Keaton is in it. Is he? Yeah, he makes a cameo at the end of the trailer, so he's in it, because I think they might be trying to build a Sinister Six movie.
1: And he was what in uh, the, the Spider-Man movie? Vulture, that's right. That's right. So,
0: so Morbius, they, it looks excellent. I mean, for a Sony picture you know, an association with Marvel it looked really good. So I'm excited about Morbius.
1: Well, what do we uh so we're good with the emails, we're good with uh we didn't have any Facebook follow-ups, did we?
0: No. Well, I've seen a couple of new hits, a couple of new views, but that's it. So speaking of
1: crazy ass superhero shows, I was thinking uh, tonight we could discuss the uh ultimate battles or ultimate matchups in comic books. What do you guys think about that?
0: I uh, have a good one that comes to mind. Sure, yeah. Let's go for it.
1: Rob, you got something? Uh, matchups? Absolutely. I got one for you. All right, Mark. What you got, man?
0: Avengers Under Siege. It started about issue 273 and went all the way to issue 277, where it was one of my favorite lineups of the Avengers, and it's where the Masters of Evil orchestrate and take over and beat the Avengers. They take over Avengers Mansion and they beat the Avengers. And it is like hell trying to get back into the mansion. And they beat Hercules to a pulp. I mean, he had brain damage, he was in a coma, he was like at death's door. This is one of my favorite storylines because typically the villains, they orchestrate things, but not to this degree that I've seen. Right. I mean, they, they, they got Hercules away from the team and they got him drunk. And they drugged his drink. And even when he was so drunk and, like, not 100% coherent, he still whooped six guys' ass. I mean, he really gave them a run for their money. But it wasn't until Goliath, the guy who was playing Goliath at the time, one final, one blow to the head, he picked him up. Because Goliath can change his size. So he picked him up by the legs and was just bashing him around bashing him around bashing him around and he ended up in a coma and that's how they defeated hercules and they got captain marvel uh into like a dark zone one of the villains i forgot his name uh shroud it's not shroud but um one of the villains one of the members of the masters of evil trapped captain marvel uh the female captain marvel photon monica rambeau he trapped her into uh, a dark zone And she couldn't get out. She ended up in San Francisco because she was trying to find her way out. Um, The Wasp was on her own. Captain America, they got, they captured. Jarvis, their butler, they beat to a pulp. Um... Mm -hmm the Black Knight they beat to a pulp and he kidnapped him and held him hostage. I mean, so much so that the Wasp, she had to scour, she had the second Ant-Man, Scott Lang, helping her, but she had to like, she even said in one panel, "We let's just start scouring the city for individual heroes, Daredevil, Spider-Man, because the Black Panther was in Africa, the west coast avengers were on a mission the falcon was down with the flu the fantastic four was out of town i mean so this is all the things that she's saying in this panel she's like so let's just start scouring the city to see who can who we can find to help us until finally she's like we're on our own and they captain marvel ends up in san francisco and through the help of the shroud who's a partner with cloak and dagger she ends up getting back to new york they are able captain america and black knight are able to get free and they're able to retake the mansion, and they able they're able to kick the masters of evil's ass. I mean, it's this. It went on from 273 to 277. They completely obliterated the mansion. The mansion's completely destroyed, and it's one of my favorite epic battles because you just don't know how this is going to turn out because. I've never seen a headquarters destroyed like this before. You know what I mean? This is Avengers Mansion. Uh, you know, Tony, Tony Stark's childhood home. They have all kinds of security devices. But you think it's on Fifth Avenue. You think this place is impenetrable. It's Earth's Mightiest Heroes. But no, they completely got whooped. And I mean, it just goes to show you that you can't keep them down. You know what I mean? I mean, they got to the lowest low, you know? but they what was the, able uh, to win.
1: What was the Master of Evil's, like, ultimate plan besides defeat the Avengers? Was it?
0: Just to take over, I mean, Baron Zemo was running the show, and just to t- beat the Avengers, take over the mansion, and just run the show, and just take over. Okay. I mean, the, the, the battle, they definitely had the upper hand at first, but, I mean, what they did to Hercules was, like, you know, I mean, here he's a god, you know, and I had right. no idea that he could get beat that bad. But, I mean, the fact that they were smart enough to, like, get him drunk first and drugged his drink... And just, but he still ended up whooping their ass, all six of them. But he, it's just that, you know, they got the upper hand, but that was one of my favorite, favorite, because I love Avengers Mansion. I remember when you and Kim, when you guys came here, I took you to Stan Lee's yeah,
1: inspiration.
0: inspiration for Avengers Mansion. It's a fruit collection on right there on Fifth Avenue. And so that was his, he would walk past it every single day on his way to Marvel headquarters offices. And he's like, I want to create a headquarters that, that used to be a home that's like a city block long and it was the Frick Collection Museum that still stands to this day and that was he he would walk past it every day and that was his inspiration for Avengers Mansion so I I I love that's my favorite superhero headquarters is Avengers Mansion because it's so they made it so like you could actually live in it you know what I mean and plus I know the inspiration behind it it kind of looks like Avengers Mansion you know so I can go to it so it's very lifelike for me so it's one of my favorite superhero headquarters and that's why this story means so much to me because to have it destroyed like that and then to have them be infiltrated that way and they ended up having to operate out of one of the floors of the Baxter building from the Fantastic Four because they had no place to go for a while and then they ended up going to Hydro Base that ended up being destroyed and then they had to rebuild a new mansion so it's a pretty intricate story but that that those five issues that it spanned across it was some it was my favorite storyline it's Avengers Under Siege Okay. Very cool, man. Yeah.
1: I like it. When was that written again?
0: It was written in 1986.
1: 86. Well, I got another one from uh, 1986 to be Really? Uh, I don't know if any of you have heard of it. You know, just a little book uh, from Frank Miller, you know, The Dark Knight Return. So you pretty much had to wait till the very end, but I always thought and you could definitely tell that um, some inspiration for Batman v Superman was pulled from the Absolutely. pages of this book. Yep, um, and I mean, I'm of course for our listeners, I'm talking about the epic battle between a um, very old Bruce Wayne uh, who has returned as the Dark Knight is now battling Superman. The battle actually doesn't go on for too long; um, it only spans about. Um, you know, six pages or so, but you know, Miller style is each page has like 10 separate panels on it. And it doesn't, um, till about halfway through that, you know, Bruce ignites a, uh, kryptonite arrow, um, and then really starts taking it to Superman. Although he gave him an honest, I would say go, um, that's not really true. Superman, I think pretty much just didn't kill him. Um, but the thing that strikes me about this particular battle, you know, is I think it speaks to the courage of Bruce Wayne. I think it doesn't matter who he's actually fighting. If it's, like, if it's a battle that's um, necessary or if, if it's in line with his principles, he's going to fight you. It doesn't matter if you, you know, you're the Man of Steel or you're a crook on the street. So I just really liked the um the way the story was told. Um but then um how he ends up pretty much having a heart attack. Of course if I'm that old and I'm carrying around walking around in armor like that, I I probably have a heart attack too, but I just remember um, the artwork of that. It was like the heart monitor. Yeah. Just yeah just going beep, you know.
0: That's true, Rob. Speaking of Batman's courage, that's really, it's like, it's almost like he doesn't even think whether or not he can win. He just goes, just dives in.
1: Well, and like, I, I just, I have the book in front of me here. So I was just like, he pretty much takes a heel to Superman's chin. So Superman's bleeding now. And he's like, I want you to remember, Clark, in all the years to come, in your most private moments... And now he has him by the throat. I want you to remember my hand at your throat. I want you to remember the one man who beat you. And then there's the heart monitor and he flatlines and just passes out. Again, um, there's so much in this book. Um, Rich, I don't. I think you and I didn't even pick this up until because I'm looking at the 10th anniversary edition, so we didn't pick this up until probably 96, 97, maybe. Yeah, somewhere like that. Um, And, of course, I've kept up with the um, additions to this series. But, yeah, it just got me thinking about um, re-watching Batman v. Superman and um, really just thinking about, where like Where is the line for Bruce Wayne where, where it's courage or is it like folly and foolishness, you know? Because obviously if you have too much courage, you might do something really careless. But I just, I just think it speaks to him as a character that it really doesn't matter who, who, is, who you're battling. It's, if it's a battle worth having, he's going to have it out. And Batman's also
0: very, very intelligent. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. You could tell reading that book that he you know he works through how he's gonna orchestrate this, how this is gonna work, and I mean to the point where he's smart enough to what hook batteries up to the electrical supply and electrocute superman yeah. and all that. I mean he thought of like every angle possible for that. I just think that those characteristics of Bruce just make him so special that he just thinks of everything. But uh, when you were talking about it, Rob, I just remembered, I think it was back in 2012 and 2013, the uh, Warner Brothers and DC Animation made those, uh, they did a DVD release of uh, Part 1 and Part 2. I want to say Part 2 was 2013, I'm not quite sure, but they were excellent. They were almost perfect, 100% depictions of the graphic novel, and uh, I know they're on the DC Universe app. I don't know if you can stream them anywhere else now, but uh, if you've never seen them, I would highly recommend checking them out. How about you, Rich? What you what what uh, matchup do you have? Well, I have another book from the '80s. Um, nice. Mine's not really. It's kind of a battle within a battle, <clears throat> so I guess you could say it was the first one of the first big giant uh, events in DC Comics. Um, I know it's highly popular now. Uh, because of the uh, Arrowverse crossovers and shows on the CW, but I chose Crisis on Infinite Earth number 7, and that is the death of Supergirl. But uh, the, the general concept, and I won't take up too much time explaining this, but I need to fill in a little bit of context here. So, at the time, in the 80s, um, the DC Universe was basically classified as the Multiverse. And in order to get it back to just a singular universe and and uh, be more, I want to say, friendly or readability a lot, it was a lot easier for, for people coming in and fans. So they wanted to axe all these extra earths and realign everything. So that was the big purpose behind it. But the main villain, per se, was the anti-monitor. You had the monitor... Who I want to say it was. It was, the whole story was written by Marv Wolfman and Mark's favorite artist George Perez did the penciling. But I want to say the Monitor originally was created by Marv in um, New Teen Titans when him and George were doing that. Um, but he's a staple. He dies, and then like the main the main bad guy of the story is the Anti Monitor, and he's basically. Just taken out Earth's with, um, I want to say it's just his power is he's got anti matter walls that just slowly erase Earth's from existence and slowly kills characters. But so that this whole event, this 12 issue series, could be my main battle, kind of, but uh, I really wanted to focus in on number seven, which was the death of Super Supergirl, and it really just as a reader and a fan it really showed heroism and just heart and character of a of this hero and it wasn't a long battle but the only reason she she dies is she's she she sees her cousin in in distress and responds and basically sacrifices herself so anti-monitor is is beating the shit out of kal-el well, then she hear she hears this, and she goes, and it's like she just flips a switch, and she goes crazy. She starts beating the shit out of the anti monitor, and just hitting him, and hitting him, and hitting him. But what he what he is is he's like raw energy, and she basically is breaking apart his shell armor, and in the process, she's trying to get um Superman and Superman Prime, I think. And Dr. Light and and whoever was where they were located I, th- I think it was like a wall and um, but she's just beating the shit out of him and she's, she's just more concerned about everybody getting away get free, get free, get away and she gets distracted trying to make sure that they're getting away that he just blows raw energy right through her, I mean just right in the gut and of course she's not going to live from that but it's just the source of heroism that that really sticks in my mind in this epic matchup, I guess. I mean, she knew going into it that she, she wouldn't have lived going one-on-one with this guy. Because it took a multitude of heroes to stop him. But some of my favorite things, like towards the end, like Superman wraps her up in her cape and uh, takes her out to space. And some of the lines, let me, uh, I just read this. And now, Kara, you are gone, and I grieve. I live on, hurt, but not disillusioned, sad, but still hopeful that the dreams shared by you and me and all those others, those with special powers, and especially those with none, those dreams of peace and hope can still come true. We live on remembering and honoring the past, but always looking to the future. Goodbye, Kara. Linda Lee, Supergirl, I will miss you forever. So... That is my epic matchup. That and, was the original Supergirl, wasn't it? Yeah. I don't know. It's like, it kind of goes back to that, like, ultimate sacrifice, being a hero. It's kind of the things that just draw you back into comics, you know what I
0: mean?
1: Right. And these are these are stories that don't happen very often. So, when you lose somebody. Yeah, it's kind of one of those shock factors where it's like, wait, I thought these people were invincible. I'll, you know, they'll come back from that and then... You know sometimes they do and then sometimes they don't
0: i didn't have that feeling until they killed barry barry allen yeah that's when it hit me because barry I think allen I
1: was... barry allen died in the very next issue and it uh it took fucking, what like 20 years before he came back to comics i mean like that, our that's generation what hit me
0: that's when it's like whoa our generation die?
1: when we thought of the flash it was wally west you know yeah barry allen wally west was our flash because i mean this is what, the year after all of us were born? Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: It's funny how great comics were back before we were around.
0: <laughs> I know, it's true.
1: <laughs> it, I, I just, I, I laugh at that because like we could pick anything relevant, but we're still going back to stuff that like we were infants when it came out and we we picked these stories over modern modern battles or modern matchups. You know what I mean?
0: Some of this stuff happened before we were born.
1: I know. Well, do you guys want to stick with uh, the, uh, the the traditions of our show and, and rank these epic battles slash matchups? So we've got the Avengers Under Siege. Then we've got the Dark Knight Returns, and that's Superman versus Batman. And then we got uh, Crisis number 7, Supergirl versus the Anti-Monitor.
0: Go ahead, Mark. Where are you at? Avengers Under Siege is in first place for me then second place is the dark knight returns and then third place is supergirl versus anti-monitor
1: okay rob what you got man uh i'm actually i'm gonna have to go with um crisis issue seven so supergirl versus anti-monitor um then i'm gonna go with the dark knight returns and mark I'm gonna rank yours third only because I have not uh read that so um, but um I'm it sounds like an amazing set of uh issues there it really was so I will put uh the Avengers under siege in third place all right
0: Rich what's yours?
1: I really like your matchup, Rob because I mean that's such an epic could. story. I love frank miller um but yours, I don't is know. A, yours is one of those iconic universe
0: matchups though.
1: Yeah, but yours is. As soon as you says def- yours, yours, rich, I automatically
0: in- knew what the cover was. You know.
1: Yeah, I mean, all right, I'll go with Crisis Number Seven, Supergirl versus the Anti-Monitor, and then I'll go with Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, Batman versus Superman, and then I'll go with Avengers Under Siege. And like, like, like Rob said, Mark, I'll have to check out your uh, Under Siege book. Sounds good. It really is. Please That's do check it out. Good storyline. Anybody got any honorable mentions? Any other good battles that you were thinking about that you um, didn't really bring so, up? I don't know if they were good battles, but I think... Um, oh, come on. I you got to pick Robin versus Jubilee from DC versus Marvel. Well, come on, bro. Well, actually, what I was going to say was just
0: <laughs> the DC Such versus shit. Marvel.
1: Well, what I liked about those four issues, the awful writing aside, is I liked the conversations that came about because of those four issues. And in fact, it was that um, story that Mark and I first bonded over in the eighth grade. You remember that right. Mark? Yes, I do. We were talking about who would, who would win in a matchup, the Hulk versus Superman. And sadly you were on the losing side of that fight, but yep, yep. honorable mention. I mean, it okay. has to be, okay. it has to be, you know, DC versus Marvel just because of, um, I think, the comic book culture and the conversations that came along with it, so that's where well. Let's
0: not forget also, on along similar lines, is uh, JLA versus the Avengers. Yep, which I'm holding in my hand. Kirk Busek, George Perez, 2003. I just started
1: reading that again.
0: Such a good one, such such a good story. I, I mean, I have it. I'm here holding it here in my hand, and it's such a good story.
1: That was the uh, the four part series that I needed you to have George sign, but then he didn't show up. Yeah, I don't know. My other honorable mention was obviously the epic, you know, death of Superman battle between Superman and Doomsday. I mean, that's pretty iconic, but it's an epic battle, but I think it's overdone. I think it's definitely a notch in comic book history.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that story in particular was a notch in like pop culture history, where even the mainstream media, as I think Gibb was talking about on our last episode. It just hit the non comic book world as well. The thing that I remember about that though, do you remember that poster of the casket mm-hmm. and yep. then all the the superheroes behind it? I thought yeah. that was I was I remember seeing that in the continent <laughs> one of the <laughs> one of the shops right off the French market in the continent back in the day. Remember because that was, I was like, what happened to Superman? And then it was a couple years later that we, Rich and I, first read that story because we got in the combo pack. Remember that? Oh, yeah. I don't know, dude. Like, I, I was really dwelling on, you know, should I pick that because it's a pretty epic battle matchup, whatever. I mean, it took forever, but I I really wish that, uh, like, I, I've watched the new animated uh, movie of that. And if you go back and read the books, like for its time, like the JLA was shit in that. Like yeah. it was like, I don't know, Maxima. Like third, gold, third, baby. third tier JLA members, for Christ's sake. Ice. Like, and like the <laughs> real <laughs> ice. Right. And fucking Guy Gardner, his bitch ass. You think Blue about beetle. it like the real JLA didn't show up until they were walking his casket. I'm like, where the hell were you at, Wonder Woman? Where the fuck were you, Batman? Like, to me, I don't know if the story necessarily stands the test of time when you get down to the details of it. It was, like you said, it was a pop culture event. It's a, it's a major event in history, but like, was it really? To me, it seems a little rushed. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, you didn't even know who he was. Yeah. It's like, who is this cat? I don't know. So, so I didn't pick that. Do you guys have any other ones? Here we are talking about it. I didn't pick that. <laughs> um, There's one. So I remember when we were collecting, I loved the Batman Superman book. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, they went to, this is when uh, Michael Turner was doing the artwork and they went to Apocalypse. And I remember Batman actually punched dark Yeah. I was like, Oh my God! Of course, he was wearing all sorts of armor. But again, I mean, he has to. But while I was thinking about this um, Dark Knight Returns fight, it reminded me of man—he could just vaporize you with his eyeballs. And well, I guess Superman could do so that mega, too. Mega, uh, mega beams. So that was one another honorable mention that came to mind. Yeah. What are you? Uh, what are you guys reading? Anything new that we talked about for the new year? Any resolutions on anything? Uh, I have not picked up anything new yet um i know we talked a little bit of, that we picked up um matt's um hawkeye i did read that so that's the only new stuff i've written i was probably going to stop in the written ogre or read i'm sorry that was that he wrote um that's something that i that i picked up new i was probably going to stop in the ogre in the next couple of weeks and just maybe check out some new stuff maybe broaden my uh horizons a little bit in the new year um so nothing new on my end, but, um, it won't be green lantern. I can tell you that much. Well, I stopped into the comic store actually today and, uh, I, uh, picked up Michael Bendis's Legion of superheroes. Interesting. Um, I'd seen a lot of the press on it and, uh, there's three issues out now. And, uh, I was gonna pick it up earlier, but decided to get that, and then I'm hoping to uh, take uh, Matt Rosenberg's advice and seek out Bendis' Daredevil run from back in the day. So I'm gonna do some research and try to try to locate all those books, and then maybe um, start collecting the current Daredevil run, which I heard is really really good. So I might do that. So you know, I was thinking about at least doing some research and maybe checking out the uh, Ultimate Spider-Man. That Ben this did from yeah. uh, Matt's interview. Okay.
0: Might Look be at you guys dipping into Marvel.
1: Well, I remember, you know, Spider-Man was one of the characters that I really, really liked um, when we first got back into comics back in the day. So, you know, I'll give it a shot. So for the next 10 episodes, we want to do a different... Uh, no longer do a blast from the past. We want to kind of do our top 10 and then count it down. So for our number 10. Mark, what's yours? Uh,
0: Thunderbolts issue number 22, which I was a Thunderbolt fan. Uh, Kirk Busick was the writer on it and I liked the artwork and I liked it because it was the, it's so funny that I picked this up having read Avengers Under Siege and that was my main, uh, one of my favorite epic battles. It was the Masters of Evils changed their names, changed their code names and became heroes. Mm -hmm. and they changed their name to the Thunderbolts and Hawkeye of the Avengers saw this and wanted to lead them again he wanted to lead them he had been the leader of the West Coast Avengers and he had just grown into a leader and was feeling stifled in the Avengers and so he infiltrated the Thunderbolts and offered to be their leader well it's just so interesting because this one particular issue that I picked up uh, let me see what year did this come out that I started reading today that I absolutely love this issue um okay so 1999 so it was 12 years later that remember i was telling you in the avengers under siege storyline where goliath beat hercules to a pulp Mm -hmm. well goliath years later now that he's in the thunderbolts changed his name to atlas and he's now a good guy well this is after the heroes reborn and hercules is back well he remembered being beaten to a pulp and in this one particular issue of the thunderbolts hercules Finds a thunderbolt and seeks revenge on Atlas for beating him to a coma. Right. And Atlas is like, you know, I'm really sorry. I was a different person back then. I was a villain. I was so stupid. And he's reformed. He's changed now. But Hercules is still here's the issue. Hercules is still pissed and he's still mad about what he did to them and what he did to the Avengers. And in that issue, he's seeking revenge against Atlas. So here's the storyline that they picked up 12 years later and that they're writing about. So that's, that's what I loved about this particular issue. That's my top. That's my number 10 nice. right now.
1: Rob, what's your uh, number 10? I went back and looked at Gotham by Gaslight. Oof, good one. Um, It was one I read a really long time ago. Um, I kind of forgot about it for a little while. Um, This once again is uh, from the 80s. Um, A big year for Batman, 1989 to be exact. Right. Um, So this one was just a, it, it wasn't what you would consider an Elseworld, you know, where you take the comic character and just completely do whatever the hell you want to him. But pretty much the premise here was let's take Batman a hundred years in the past. So, you know, kind of in the 1800s, it's like picking up as if he was actually a character from that era, but he's coming back from London to Gotham, having actually studied with Freud It was kind of funny. Nice. Um, But, you know, they, they, they teased a little bit of his history, like his parents were still murdered, but it was by, you know, someone of that time. It's all while the uh, Jack, the Ripper stuff is going on. And what ends up happening is Batman comes back or Bruce comes back and, you know, he's still very fresh in that, in the role of Batman. And he actually gets framed by Jack, the Ripper for, you know, his crimes. And then it's just following a brief little story of him figuring it out. Um, It was actually somebody who served in uh, Thomas Wayne's civil war uh, regiment. Uh, So it was just kind of a nice little twist. It was just a nice one shot. But what I really liked about this and why I put it in my top 10 was it was just really creative. You know, I forgot the nitty gritty details of the story, but I remembered that it was just something really different. And I thought it was really cool that they took, you know, Batman from our modern time and just threw him into a pretty significant piece of, you know, history from, you know, the 1800s. And thought it was pretty cool how they made Gotham look and then kind of made, you know, Bruce Wayne's character uh, look like in that era as well. Um, Surprise, surprise, not much has changed. Uh, But if you haven't checked it out, I would uh, I would take a look at it. You know, it's not anything, uh, too long, but, um, pretty darn creative. So Batman or uh, Gotham, a tale of the Batman Gotham by Gaslight. Nice. Sweet. So my number 10 is from, let's see, August of 2003 and it's Empire number zero. Uh, Yeah. Wasn't that Wade by Mark Wade and Barry Kitson. And I was doing a little bit of research on this and I pulled this up. This is actually from, uh, this is from Wikipedia, and I didn't really know the backstory of the publishing house. But the series was originally published in 2000, so three years earlier, by Guerrilla Comics, a company formed by Mark Wade, Kurt Busick, and several others. But the company folded after only two issues were produced. Empire was finished at DC in 2003 and 2004. Although it remains in its own fictional universe and is not part of the DC universe, the already published two comic books were collected in number zero, and then the rest of the story was told over six issues. In 2014, it was reported that the rights to the series had reverted to Wade and Kitson, and the series would return under Wade's thrill-bent comic platform. So I totally didn't even know that. I thought it was a DC title. But apparently, it was created three years before that. So that's why there was a zero. But I just looking at this book, it really reminds me of this might have been DC's first real attempt at mature content instead of like going through Vertigo. And now, obviously, they have a a black label line. But this was definitely a mature reader's title. And uh, it was, but it was still really, really good. It's essentially a, uh, there's really no superheroes in it. The main character is Golgoth. He's kind of a tyrant emperor over the human race. He, in fact, is human. And uh, he's just like, he gets kind of like special powers from his armor and stuff like that. He like, he can teleport. And um, I remember he kind of had like Iron Man uh, blasters from his hands and stuff like that. But all in all, he's, he's basically the overlord of Earth now. His wife is dead and it's the the way they control the people is it's through like um, narcotics and drugs and it's this drug i I can never pronounce it i think it was urtrist. i think is what it was i can't remember essentially his wife is dead and the other character main character is delphi who's his daughter who is kind of this naive little girl slash hidden away princess that um you know doesn't know what her father has done to gain the power that he has and it's a really dark story but it's really really good it's kind of how Delphi uncovers uh what her father's done and I I highly recommend it and uh Mark Wade does a an an excellent job like he always does but It's Empire number zero, and like I said, it's a six-issue miniseries after that. And it did receive an Eisner Award in 2004 for Best of Limited Series, so it's got awards around it. So, And I could probably put Golgoth in the uh, underrated villain category because he scared the shit out of me. It was almost like a Darth Vader character that you just did not fuck with, otherwise you were going to end up dead. Even though he was human, he was scary as shit. That's my number ten empire number zero by mark wade so nice rob do you remember reading that i do i remember when we picked it up at the ogre and i think it was Gibb that said this is what it would be like if dr doom was uh a real person <laughs> or something <laughs> like that right that was a. Uh, I i think i reread that uh, a few years later after we got it when it came out we well originally published um through dc anyway Um, I remember it It was pretty profound and something very different definitely top 10 material oh um, uh, an honorary mention for this episode I think it's interesting so we're recording this the day before Martin Luther King's uh, birthday well when we celebrate his birthday and that was actually the weekend that we started our quote comic club no shit that's right it was I believe this makes 21 years really how did you remember that you're right
0: how did you
1: remember that? Just remember it, man. Rich and I would always shoot each other text messages on and off. I don't know why we cut you out of the anniversary celebration over the last <laughs> couple of years. Fuck you, Mark. Damn. <laughs> so, uh, so, I think now, so, if it's, it's 21 years, if we actually started it in 98, I believe, right? No, we started in 97. So, it'd be 22 years then. Nice. So... Happy 22 years of the RMR comic club. Word. Little piece of uh, trivia for all you listeners. Wow. (laughs) Herb, thanks for listening, Herb. (laughs) Thanks. This one's for you, buddy. Thanks for for writing emails, Herb. We appreciate it. Well, if you guys have anything else, just uh, shoot us a Facebook post or an email. And uh, if you want us to read it on the show, we'll... We'll do another little show mail segment. So
0: we'd love to hear from you.
1: Yeah, give us. I a... think it'd be really cool. Uh, yeah, if, if if our listeners could give us their top ten, you know, or you know, their could... favorite
0: battles or favorite matchups.
1: Yeah, man, cool. I want to hear some. Yeah, right some, in. I want to hear some debating on some matchups here.
0: Absolutely, so. right into us. I'm sure Ridgeway's got
1: some battles he'd like to talk about. So yeah. All right, everybody. Um, again, really appreciate you guys that are listening out there. Um. You have a lot of options available. Um, Really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to uh, the three of us yammer on about um, something we love dearly. This is Mark. This is Rich. Have a good night, guys. Thanks for listening. This is Rob. Thank
0: you for listening to this RMR production.